He will give you an anointing that will destroy every yoke of bondage. When you get beyond yourself and you begin to have a burden for someone else, when you begin to pray for lost souls and intercede for lost souls and travail and groaning in the spirit for lost souls, and you begin to uh, give of yourself to those that you don't even know, to those that are less fortunate than you, to those who have never heard the gospel, and you get beyond your pride and beyond your complacency and beyond your comfort and your tradition and your routine and your fear and you reach for lost souls then and only then will you see the glory of God revealed in your life welcome to the hacker podcast my name is Greg Hackathorn Today's show is a bit different. It's a conversation with Christopher Green, and he imparts so much revelation and inspiration in this episode that I felt compelled. While we were having the conversation, I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to share it with you as quick as I possibly could. You will be changed after listening to this podcast today. I'm just going to do the preliminaries and get out of the way, get you uh, to the conversation as quick as possible. Christopher Green is a full-time evangelist with the UPCI. He has been traveling the world preaching the gospel for the last nine years, seeing thousands receive the Holy Ghost and countless miracles. He is a man of faith who is led by the Spirit. He and his wife Danielle just launched a ministry called Harvest Emotion, where they travel to churches and provide intensives on how to reach the lost. And if you want to know more about that for your church, you can reach out to him on Facebook or Instagram. I provided links to his pages in the show notes. This really is a life-changing episode, and I would encourage you to share this with every apostolic you know and allow it to impact their lives as well. I won't be closing the show today as I didn't want to impede on what the Spirit will be accomplishing. So without further delay, Evangelist Christopher Green. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a joy to be on this with you today. Well, I think the last time uh, you were over here in Australia was uh, we had a whole bunch of bushfires going on. Is that right? At General Conference? That's right, man. Yeah, that was a memorable moment. General Being there for General Conference was amazing. But then with the, uh, the catastrophe that was going on around us was uh, very memorable. I'll never forget that week. Yeah, it was an um, amazing ministry. Uh, we That basically kicked off a uh, crazy year. We, I feel like over here in Australia, at least, we haven't had, well, in New South Wales in particular, we haven't really had any sort of normalcy since like December 2019 or even, I guess, November because the bushfires started just around that time. It's been crazy. I can't here. imagine. Yeah, you guys have been up against it, man. I I've been praying for all of you guys in Australia and uh, we, we've got many friends, you know, over there and, and uh, we've been praying for you guys because you guys have definitely been up against a season of opposition, man. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, and we appreciate that. And, and I'm thankful that uh, you've made time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Most of us are, are quite aware of the uh, schedule that you keep up as a traveling evangelist, and we're going to talk about that, about that a bit in this conversation today. But I like to start off these conversations allowing the listeners to get to, to know the guest 
a bit more. Uh, so I'd like to start out kind of where you're from, your background, how you sort of came into ministry, that, that sort of deal. So if you wouldn't mind uh, sharing with the listeners a, a bit of, of your backstory. Yeah, so um, I'm 13 years old, and uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I'm actually 20 years older than that now. I'm 33 years old and uh, married for seven years and uh, have a little boy, four years old now, Levi. He's been to Australia. Uh, my wife and I, we've both been to Australia together, but I was born and raised in Austin, Texas. I was basically, I was born into church. I wasn't uh, raised in a United Pentecostal church, although um, my family was, they were Pentecostal and um, they were all a part of the United Pentecostal church. But when I was two years old, my family left the UPC. And so I was, I was raised uh, in a church that was once UPC and they ended up going sort of a different route. And um, my grandfather was my pastor for the first 15, 16 years of my life. And then my dad became the pastor of our church. And um, I didn't come into the UPC until I was, I was introduced to you crazy people of the UPC when I was 16 years old. And I've shared that story uh, in Australia before, but we didn't really come into the UPC until I was about 20 years old. And uh, that's when Brother uh, brother David Bernard, who I think is Australia's favorite preacher, and um, we, uh, we all love Brother Bernard, amen. But yes, uh, he became my first pastor of the UPC, and uh, my family moved into his church. And yeah, so uh, Austin, Texas, um, home of the, uh, the Longhorns. Um, what's so funny is coming to, uh, coming to Australia, you know, it's like, Australia has some of the most exotic, crazy animals in all of the world, you know, and so coming to Australia, like we're wanting to see the crocodiles and the kangaroos and the koalas and all this stuff. And then we come over there and you guys ask me, have you ever seen a squirrel? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, uh, yeah, like every day of my life, why? Like, wow, you've seen a squirrel. What's it like? I'm like, oh, you guys have kangaroos and, you know, these spiders that are so poisonous that if they, they, they look at you in the eye, you die in like two minutes or something, you know, and these box jellyfish that will destroy your life. And, and then you're asking me if I've seen a squirrel, you know, it just cracks me up. But anyways, so yeah, born and raised in Austin, Texas, and, and um, I played baseball. Um, I mean, baseball was like, it was my life. My dad he regrets it to this day. You know, he allowed me to invest too much of my life into sports and I ended up becoming good enough at it that I was offered a scholarship for college and, and ended up playing baseball in college, which is of course, when I backslid my, my second year of college. And, and, um, I was really running away from my calling at that time because I just wanted to play baseball so badly, even though I knew I had a calling in my life. But um, by my third year of college, the, the God had gotten a hold of me, and uh, he, he just flipped my life upside down, and I began to pray and fast, and I mean, I was into partying and drinking and, and smoking marijuana and just, you know, being crazy for a good year and a half to two years, and, and, uh, and then God got a hold of me, and that's, mm-hmm. a, 
that's a long story, but God got a hold of me. And, and, uh, after some praying and fasting and seeking the will of God, I, I heard the voice of God speak to me in one service on a Sunday night. And God said, I've called you to preach. Hmm. And, uh, I ran up to the altar and there was two men that came to me that night that literally spoke the words. They said, tonight, God has called you to preach. And so I went and counseled with my pastor and and he recommended that after I graduate with my, my bachelor degree there, he recommended that I would go to Urshan Graduate School of Theology and, and pursue my master's degree to build a foundation of ministry. And uh, so I packed up my bags after graduating in Texas and I drove 15 hours to St. Louis and uh, didn't know anybody there except Brother Bernard, because at that time, Brother Bernard had moved from Austin, Texas to St. Louis to become the general superintendent. And he was literally the only person in St. Louis I knew. Wow. But, you know, he wasn't somebody I was calling up every day to, to hang out and go play golf with or something, you know. So but uh, I went there not knowing anybody and it was depressing for a little bit, you know, and didn't have my family, didn't have any friends. And um, but but God made a way and, and I knew I was in the will of God. And I ended up doing the four year program, the master's degree program at Urshan Graduate School of Theology. And from there, God opened up the doors of ministry. And uh, I intern. I did five different internships in different churches throughout uh, the UPC. Uh, and I knew God had a call on my life. I just didn't know which direction that would go. And through many different situations of prayer and, and uh, seeking God and doing many different internships, I, I discovered that God had called me to be an evangelist. So mm. from there, God began to open doors for me to evangelize and travel and now it's been nine years. Um, in fact, basically this week, I, if I remember correctly, it's been nine years this week that I've been traveling full-time evangelizing. And uh, I don't regret anything. It's been amazing. So you felt the call to preach. So you had a, a almost like a road to Damascus experience uh, with God when you felt the call to preach. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. The reason I, I highlight that is because I've had a, a few different people on the podcast and some people it's like a gradual deal where uh, just over time they feel a draw to the ministry, a draw to preaching. And then other people have that dramatic experience where, you know, God calls them. And I think it's important to highlight that it can be either way. It can be that dramatic yeah. experience that you experience, but it could also be something that's more gradual. Mine was dramatic as well. Um but I know for, for like, say, my mother-in-law, Sister Gina Gretsch, hers was a gradual yeah. process. So, um, Well, I would say, just to interject there, like, I actually feel mine was a little bit more gradual with, you know, a dramatic element in it, um, I guess you could call. And, and uh, because I remember being, you know, like, I remember being, I don't know, 12 years old or so and God calling me, mm -hmm. but that call was very simple. And I, I didn't hear a voice of God. I didn't even know the voice of God at 12 years old. You know, I wasn't praying. I mean, at 12, I was going to church, but I didn't have a prayer life. But I remember sitting in like Sunday school one morning and all of a sudden just the spirit of God like moving on me. And I did, and it was like out of nowhere. And I'm thinking, you know, looking around, like, is anybody else feeling this? Did, did this just happen to everybody in the class? 
And I was like, no, it's just me. Like I'm feeling something drawing me. And then again, it like, I would say it was 16 years old where I have really established a prayer life. And it was because again, I'm sitting there in church with the youth group and all of a sudden the spirit of God moves on me. And again, it wasn't some dramatic demonstrative expression of God's spirit where like there was literally, you know, cloven tongues of fire that sat on my head or nothing. It was just like, I felt emotional. I felt a drawing and I'm looking around and no one else is experiencing it Hmm. thinking, okay. And then I would have these glimpses, not visions, not dreams. Maybe they were, I don't know, but I, they were so small. I would call them just a glimpse, like a spiritual glimpse that I saw in my mind of me preaching or of me helping people, you know, of me ministering, of me helping build a church or something like that. I would have these little moments like every two or three years, not every two or three days, like when I was 12 and then I'm 16. And then, and then, uh, and, and then when I, again, again, when I was like 18, it happened, you know, and it was just like these little, just moments, these little whispers, you know, um, and, and it just kind of gradually went that way for a while. And then when I went to college, it kind of, kind of, it didn't go away, but I went away. I ran, I ran from, you know, and then again, in my 30 year college, I'm literally standing at a party with a beer in my hand. And that same spirit that came upon me at 12 years old in the Sunday school room moved on me at a party on a Friday night with a beer in my hand. I mean, explain that, you know, that's the only explanation I have of that is it's called grace, the grace of God, you know, and Mm -hmm. like, that's the last moment God should be reaching for somebody, but really with, you know, God's love that that is the moment that he wants to reach for you. You know, I've got a beer in my hand trying to fit in with the crowd. And all of a sudden the spirit of God moves on me. And I was like, Whoa, that's the same thing I felt when I was 12 years old. And when I was 16 and 18 and God's calling me to something. So I put the beer down and I walked home and I began to pray. And it wasn't any, you say dramatic, like it was just the spirit of God moving, you know what I mean? But when I began to pray and fast, for like a couple of weeks, I go to church and on Sunday night, I'm just sitting there while the preacher's preaching. And here comes that same spirit again that I felt at 12 and 14 or 16, whatever. And, and that, but this time the spirit had a voice to it. It didn't just have a feeling to it. It had a voice to it. And this time just the voice I heard, and it wasn't, it was, it sounded like my voice in my head. And it just said, I called you to preach just that easy, that simple. And I'm like, what? I called you to preach. Well, you know, and then because I didn't hear some heavenly baritone, you know, bass sounding voice from heaven, I heard my voice in my head. I called you to preach. Hmm. I'm like, wait, was that me or God? Well, when I ran up to the altar and within 10 minutes, two men come up and say, hey, Chris, tonight God's called you to preach. Well, then I knew that was God, you know? Hmm. So yeah, it was gradual with, you know, a little bit of dramatics involved <laughs> yeah for sure and and my story is not obviously identical to yours but it's somewhat similar in that i've felt the call at a young age and then you know wasn't necessarily pursuing it but then ultimately at 16 i had a, a moment like that and where you know someone spoke a word into my life and that sort of thing that's neither here nor there but i guess the point is is Love that to, to young people is that or to to anyone that is feeling the call to ministry that doesn't have to be one particular way but it, it could be and even in right. your own story it's it's a number of different moments that you felt 
So yeah, I yeah. also love the response that you had, what, what you shared there, how you felt the call to ministry, felt the call to preach, that God called you to preach. And then one of the first things you did is went and talked to your pastor. So um, yeah. what is some advice that you would give a young person who feels the call, who feels the call to preach the gospel? Okay. Well, you, you mentioned Paul or who was Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. And if you read Acts chapter nine, which is his calling and his, his calling and his conversion, you discover that his calling actually blinded him. And in order to get his sight back, he had to submit to the man of God in his life, Ananias. And that's how it is for most of us that the calling of God can literally, it can blind us. I don't mean you, I said the word literally, uh, but I don't literally mean you go blind physically. I mean, it's like I, you go blind almost spiritually because you're thinking, I've had this walk with God for such and such amount of time, whether it's months or years, and you've, you've become custom, I'm sorry, you've become, you've become comfortable um, knowing your walk with God, and all of a sudden he's completely um, destroyed that that path and that routine with a call of God. And now you feel blind, like, what do I do now? Where do I go? Mm. And some people, some people become entitled when they feel like God has given them a title. You know, they feel entitled when God has given them a calling and they think, well, God has called me. I've had this dramatic experience. I mean, imagine Saul of Tarsus being knocked off of his donkey and a light is being shined from heaven and a voice is being spoken from heaven. That's a dramatic calling. Right. And you would think, well, my pastor's never had such a calling like that. Like I, no one I know has ever had a calling. Obviously I'm special. I'm unique. And then you get this entitlement because you feel called at a youth event or a Sunday service or whatever it is you feel called. And this entitlement comes up, but then, but you, but you're walking blind because you don't know which way to go. You've never walked down this path called real life ministry before. And now you don't know which way to go. You don't know, you don't know the potholes and, and you don't know the problems that are waiting for you on that path. You don't know the valleys that are required upon that path called ministry, the storms, the mountains you're going to have to climb. You don't understand the path. You just know I've been called. So the best thing you can do is have a prayer life, to have a daily prayer life, knowing when and where every single day that you're going to pray. And uh, with that, you're going to read the word um, because the majority of your life with God, uh, the majority of the, 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 the words you're going to get from God comes from reading his word. Um, and then you have a relationship with your pastor. Um, and I would strongly recommend, you know, for the ladies out there to, to build that same type of relationship, even with the pastor's wife. Um, but you build that relationship uh, and with a leader in your church and also to have a relationship with a peer, like a brother or a sister in the church, somebody that's on the same wavelength. In fact, when you're called, you're probably going to have to change your friends. I had to change the friends that I had when I was called. I don't even talk to to this day, not because I'm better than them, but because we just went in completely different directions. The call of God is divisive. It will literally divide you um, from your peers. In fact, Jesus said that his calling will divide you from your family, from your mother, from your father, from your children, um, if you really answer that call. 
And he said, those that give up their, their mother, their father, their house, um, their family for my sake, he said, they will inherit a hundred times more in this life and in the life to come. And so I, I've um, established what I would call not even just friends, but I call them brothers. I've got three friends who are not, we're not blood related, but I would call them my spiritual brothers that I talk to every single day that I consider they are better men than I am, that I know that I know where they're at right now. It's 630 in the morning. I know where all three of those guys are at right now. They're at the church and they're praying right now. And because I travel, I get to go be with them, you know, very often I'll live in their houses, whatever, when I'm in their town and, and every day when I'm with them, you know, they're waking up at 5 a.m to go to the church and read the Bible for an hour and pray for an hour or two. And I, I go with them. And, and because they're my peers, you know, when I go through temptation, when I go through struggle, when I go through lethargy and, and barrenness and whatever it may be, distraction, I'm able to pick up the phone and call them um, because sometimes there's things that I can tell my brother that I can't quite reveal to my pastor. Now, that doesn't mean I'm hiding things from my pastor. It just means I may not tell every detail to my pastor because I respect, I, I respect him and I'm afraid to let him down. And he understands that just like a dad would understand. You may not tell me every single detail. You're not going to lie to me, but you may not tell me every detail. You'll probably go to your room and tell your brother, or your sister. Now here's the details of that story, you know, because mm-hmm. you're not as afraid of your brother or sister, if that makes sense. And I have this fear of God with, for my pastor, you know, so he knows everything that's going on in my life. I'm not, I'm not promoting any sort of secrecy between you and your pastor. You need to be totally transparent, but when there's situations and first of all, or second of all, or third of all, I don't know where I'm at here, but, but my, my pastor is too busy to hear every detail of my life. He doesn't want to hear every single time I had a thought that wasn't of God, you know, he doesn't want to hear every single time that I woke up and I didn't feel like praying. He's got hundreds of people to deal with, you know, mm. um, but my brothers, we're brothers together. You know, they lean on me. I lean on them. And so it's not too much for them to hear from me and say, man, I'm struggling. I had a thought of lust today in my mind and I need you to help pray for me. I got distracted with this or that. I need you to help pray for me. In fact, there's been times where I've said, hey, I want to be accountable to you for the next 30 days. And make sure that I'm praying every day. I'm, I'm reading my Bible every day and what have you. So I would say have a prayer life, um, have a strong habit of reading the word, have a level of transparent submission to your pastor and, and if for the ladies to the pastor's wife, and then establish brothers and sisters, peers that are on the same wavelength as you, that you can tell them anything and everything and know they won't judge you. But they will, number one, they will rejoice when you rejoice, which is very difficult to find in these days because most people are jealous when you get the promotion, so to speak, when you get the calling. You can't share with everybody that you've been called, just like Joseph in the Old Testament couldn't share with his physical brothers, couldn't even share it with his own dad, the dreams that God was giving him because they all threw him away and sold him away. You know, you've got to find somebody that when, when God calls you, And if God wants to use you in a unique way, you've got to have a brother or a sister that you can tell them, hey, I'm not bragging. I'm not boasting, 
But last night I was in prayer and I felt a witness of, in my spirit that God told me he's going to use me to prophesy. He's going to use me to pray for people to receive the Holy Ghost. And that brother or that sister is going to lift their hands with you and begin to rejoice with you and pray with you and say, thank you, Jesus, for using my brother. Thank you, Jesus, for wanting to use my sister, God. I pray that you use them greater than you've ever used anybody in the name of Jesus. You don't want a jealous brother. You don't want a jealous sister. You want someone who will partner with you and go along that path with you. And in that same sense, they will weep when you weep. They won't laugh when you weep. They won't rejoice when you weep. But when you go through hell, when you go through a storm, a valley, a situation of a loss, and because ministry will bring depression and, and distraught and discouragement and fear and anguish and, and all these situations because you're fighting spirits of wickedness and you want a brother or a sister who can stand there and weep when you weep and they can cry when you cry and grieve when you grieve um, because you this journey of ministry like like God spoke to Elijah he said Elijah now think of Elijah what a great prophet of God that man I would love to see the things that he saw and yet God talked talk to him and said Elijah this journey is too great for you. This journey is too great for you. So in the next chapter, God gives him a brother in Christ, a younger brother called Elisha. And because the journey was too great for him by himself, he needed somebody to battle with him, to walk and to march and to pray alongside of his prayers. That would be my encouragement for people seeking the, the call of God in their life. Incredible advice all the way down the line. Very good advice. and Making sure that you have that personal devotion, that personal walk with God, and then also the accountability, not only to an elder, but accountability to your peers. It's uh, tremendous advice. Now, I want to dig a little bit into your ministry of evangelism. You mentioned that you're an evangelist and have been for nine years. Uh, you also mentioned that you received a specific call to evangelism. And I've noticed, been following your ministry for a number of years. Obviously, we got connected when you first came out to Australia. And uh, how how long have you been coming out to Australia? Do you remember? Since two thousand and fourteen. Two thousand fourteen. Wow, seven years. Yeah, and almost every year up until, well, I guess this is my. There was a yeah. I think we were coming out every other year, and then there was a couple of times where it was like back to back, and then. This is a. Uh, I was there in January of 2020. Yeah, I was about um, to say you. And then I was supposed. To, yeah, I was like heading to to see you guys in Sydney. Yeah, that's like right. The week yeah. before, and, and we canceled our trip, and then the shutdown happened. And uh, so, if we had come, we might have been stuck in Australia with you guys, which could have been good or bad. I don't know, but. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, it was, it yeah, was probably, we miss you guys. It was probably pretty wise to cancel that trip. Sure. But uh, yeah, we were. I remember. Uh, that's. Literally, when it when it happened, we were planning that event, and then uh, we we ended up not even having in person service that, that Sunday. So crazy, crazy, yeah. But I've noticed that wherever you go, people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I even noticed when you came to Australia, at at the same time that you came to Australia, just before that, there was another evangelist that came, Brother Cole Beebe and his wife. They came out for a bit. And they went to a number of the larger churches in Australia. And you guys were going into a lot of the 
they weren't all small, but you did go into a number of the smaller works yeah. and more regional works. Um, and right. still people were being filled with the Holy Spirit wherever you went. And, uh, you know, you've done crusades, you've gone overseas and done these sorts of things. And so I'd like to, um, I don't know, I guess dig into how it is that you approach a harvesting type of ministry when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to speaking the word of faith and praying for people through to the Holy Ghost. What is your approach when you come to churches like this or to a crusade? And that's a great question. And I could probably spend two or three hours on that question because it's been nine years of practice makes perfect. It's been nine years of trying like trial and error and nine years of seeking it. And, um, and it's so nine years worth of sort of training for me and I'm still training and discovering new ways and discovering new things and more effective ways, so to speak of, you know, being spiritually, um, effective. I'll say this, First of all, there can't be a harvest where there is no harvest, you know, so I, I've gone places where I've left frustrated because I didn't see people get the Holy Ghost, but yet there was no one there that needed the Holy Ghost, you know, so when I when I travel, I can't I can't produce a harvest where there's been no seeds that have been sown, you know, and and I, I can't do that. And um, and really, I, I'm not the Lord of the harvest anyways. I've had to come to that realization that, you know, we know the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow, but we forget who the Lord of the harvest is. I'm not the Lord of the harvest. I do not provide the increase. I provide the vessel. I provide the prayers. I provide the intercession, you know, the faith. So my quick story is, is that I actually started praying people through to the Holy Ghost for the very first time when I came to Australia back in 2014 and I had never prayed anybody through to the Holy ghost until I came to Australia. I had been evangelizing and traveling throughout the world for two and a half years before I came to Australia and I had never prayed anybody through the Holy ghost. And even, uh, more sad than that, I had never even preached a sermon out of the book of Acts wow. for two and a half years of full-time evangelism. And I've shared this maybe with, with some of you listening in Australia, but um, I was afraid that it wouldn't happen if I preached it. I was afraid because of my past, because of my sins and my failures and my insecurities, I was afraid that I would be a fraud, you know, if I preached it and I, you know, I just did not believe that I could see people receive the Holy ghost. Now here's, what's really crazy about that. I, I did have faith to pray for people who were sick and see them healed. In my first year, I remember seeing a lady who was paralyzed from the waist down for over 20 years, praying for her. And instantly she was, she was healed. And I remember praying for a lady whose ear was completely deaf and praying for her and it opened and it was healed, you know? And, and so I had no problem with this. I, I, from a young age, I always had faith that God would heal people, but I never had faith that God could use me to pray for someone to receive the Holy ghost. So 
you may not be that person that thinks God can't use you to receive the Holy Ghost, use you to pray for those that need to receive the Holy Ghost. But at some point in your spirit, there is a dead end of your faith. There is a limitation of your faith. Your faith, you might have enough faith to say, well, I can do this. But then God says, go do that. And you say, no, I don't have enough faith to go do that. And so for me, that thing was praying for people to receive the Holy Ghost. Now, if they needed a healing, I'd go pray for them. No problem. And uh, But if they needed to receive the Holy Ghost, I wouldn't pray for them. So I didn't preach out of the book of Acts for two and a half years of full-time evangelism. And then me and my wife get married. We come to Australia. And in our second week of evangelism together, we were um, in Melbourne at uh, the Hogbins Church. Now, you know, Pastor Daniel Gabriel, shout out to the Gabriels. And uh, we love them. And I was preaching. And on one of those night services, there was a college student who came for the first time. They had been doing a ministry at the college campus in that area. And he came, a visitor, you know, he came. And when I finished preaching, he came up to the altar and he was seeking to receive the Holy Ghost. And everybody prayed for him for about 45 minutes. Now think about that because the average altar call is about seven minutes. And he stood there for 45 minutes and prayed, seeking the Holy Ghost. And I was pretty much the only person in that building that didn't lay my hand on him and pray. And I sit down on the front pew and I said these words while that young man still seeking the Holy Ghost. I said these words. I said, God, man, it's too bad. He's not going to receive the Holy Ghost tonight. And the Lord spoke to me and said, who do you think you are? You are nothing but a vessel. You don't choose who gets the Holy Ghost and when they get the Holy Ghost and how they get the Holy Ghost. You are my vessel. Go pray for him. Go be a vessel and pray for him. So I just realized, you know, God's right. You know, I'm just a vessel. And if he gets the Holy Ghost or not, it's not up to me. But I I can't be the hindrance of him receiving the Holy Ghost. I need to be a vessel for him to receive the Holy Ghost, you know? And uh, so I went up to him and I asked him the really smart question. After 45 minutes of praying, I said, do you want to receive the Holy Ghost? He was like, yeah, you know, I've been praying here for 45 minutes. I said, well, lift up your hands again. And when I lay my hand on your head, you're going to receive the Holy Ghost. And it was just a pure statement of faith, like, Moses in Exodus 14, when he's standing at the Red Sea and he don't know what's going to happen with the Egyptians marching up to kill him and all the people around him are complaining. And he just begins to prophesy by faith saying, uh, hey, you know, hold your peace, stand still. We're going to see the salvation of God today and we're never going to see these Egyptians again. And then he runs to God and he's like, "Okay, God, I just prophesied. What are you going to (laughs) do? And God's like, what? Why are you crying to me about this? He said, go to the Red Sea and lift up your hands and I'll provide dry ground, you know? And that's how I felt. I was like, you're going to receive the Holy ghost. And in my mind, I was like, okay, God, you, you better do this, you know? And I laid my hand on his head and boom, he received the Holy ghost. Well, the, uh, that night I go to the hotel room and that was our last service there with the hog bins. And I go to the, the hotel and I just cry and I cry and I cry because I, one, I was so thankful, but two, I was so upset at myself that, Had I been praying for people the last two and a half years, how many people would I have seen receive the Holy Ghost if I had had that little faith just to lay my hand and believe in the name of Jesus? And let me say something. This is uh, this is very powerful to me is I prayed that night two prayers. I said, number one, God, if you'll forgive me of my unbelief, I will never 
not believe again. I will go and I will pray for anybody and everybody that needs to receive the Holy Ghost, you know. Number two, I said, God, if you'll break these chains off of my hands and off of my feet, I will pray for everybody that needs to receive the Holy Ghost. I'll never be afraid again. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, why are you asking me to break something that I've already broken? And I thought, wait a second, you know what? And God said, the chains that you're asking me to break are already broken. The chains of fear, the chains of doubt, the chains of disbelief, and the chains of, of insecurity. He said, I've already broken those chains. The only reason those chains are still in your hands is because you're holding on to broken chains. And the, the Lord gave me a verse of scripture about this sometime later in Jeremiah 40 and verse 4. It says, behold. I loose thee this day from the chains which were upon thine hands. Notice how it's worded. It says, I'm loosing you from the chains. Not I'm loosing the chains from you. God says, I'm loosing the chains or I'm loosing you from the chains. See, sometimes we need God to break the chains, but most of the time we need God to break us from the chains because it becomes it becomes comfortable we 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 like to hold on to these chains because it becomes our excuse our way out when god says to go do something you say well i can't do that i've got these chains around my hands I, i've got this deficiency i've got this past i've got this failure i've got this insecurity and god says yeah and i broke it when you were baptized in jesus name and you were filled with the holy ghost those things are broken and the only reason they're still in your life is because you're holding on to them and so that night I let go of broken chains. And the next morning I went and preached for the Ross family. Is that their name? The Rosses yeah, the just Rosses. outside yep. of Melbourne, I believe. That's right. Yep. Yeah. I went and preached for them. And I preached my very first sermon from the book of Acts on a Sunday morning, Acts 2 and 38. And I was so nervous and I preached for about 10 minutes. And I, my, I think my eyes were closed like the whole time I preached. And I said, everybody come to the altar. And we prayed. And God filled nine people with the wow. Holy Ghost that morning. And from that time, just boom. Now, there's so many other things that would take up the rest of this time. Uh, but I'll just mention them briefly. Um, if you want to reach out to me by way of Facebook message or Instagram message or whatever and talk more about these elements I'm about to mention, because I have so much to say about these things. The Lord began to show me that the, the flow of his spirit moves through a burden for lost souls. The flow of his anointing moves through a intercessory spirit of prayer for lost souls. And, and God showed me a vision one time because I've been praying for years. God, I want to see more people receive the Holy Ghost. This is something I'm going after. See, let me stop right there and say this. One reason why you don't see more people receive the Holy Ghost is, is ask yourself, how often do I pray about this? How many times do I ask God, God, help me to see people receive the Holy Ghost. Help me to minister to those that need to receive the Holy Ghost. Help me to lay hands upon the lost and see them receive the Holy Ghost. How many times do you take the time to actually say those words and pray that prayer of desire to see people receive the Holy Ghost? And then, you know, and then all of a sudden we're presented with the opportunity and we're thinking, man, I want to see them get the Holy Ghost. But I haven't spent any time in this element of prayer, in this in this vein of prayer, you know, 
And so the Lord gave me this vision in, in one morning that I was praying about this. And I saw this big body of water. And the Lord said, this body of water represents the gifts of the spirit. And I'm standing in this vision. I'm standing on the banks of this body of water, meaning I'm not in this water. I felt like I don't have the gifts of the spirit, you know. And in my dream, I knew it had something to do with praying for people to receive the Holy Ghost. And I'm thinking, well, I can't pray for people to receive the Holy Ghost. I'm not a harvester, as they call it. Mm. And, the, and all of a sudden, to my left, I see God build this bridge over the water from one side to the next. And God says, walk the bridge. And I walk the bridge and I get up on top of the bridge and I'm in between. I'm, uh, I, I'm in the middle of the bridge, standing over the water. And in, in, in what the wisdom that came to me in the, in the dream in this moment was I was superior to the water. I was above the water. I was, in a, in a sense, I was almost better than the water. And the water represented the gifts of the Spirit. And God spoke to me and said, anyone that walks this bridge can do what those do, can do who have the gifts of the Spirit. And I said, well, what is this bridge? And God said, it is a burden for lost souls. Mm -hmm. It's intercessory prayer. It's loving the lost. It's feeding the homeless. It's clothing the naked. It's giving to the widows. And it's helping the children, the orphans. And that's what Jesus said, pure and undefiled religion is. In fact, that's where you find the miracles that Jesus prophesied in Mark chapter 16, the famous verse, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And later he says, these signs will follow them that believe in my name. They will, and he begins to say, you know, they will uh, cast out devils and speak with new tongues and nothing will harm them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But he, the context is where? in the world, reaching the lost souls. Matthew 10 and Luke 10, he tells them to go into the world. And watch this, in Matthew 10, he tells them to go and preach in the world to lost souls. And he says, when you do this, four miracles will happen. You will heal the sick, you will cleanse the lepers, you will raise the dead, and you will cast out devils. But the context was when you go into the world, a few verses later in like verse 15 or so, he says, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. This is where the miracles are going to happen when you reach for lost souls. So in that vision, the bridge was reaching for lost souls, a burden for lost souls, intercession for lost souls. And God said, when you walk this bridge, you can do anything that I want you to do. Mm. You can do anything that my people do who possess the gifts of the spirit. Why am I saying all of this? Because many people listening to this right now think, well, I don't have the gift of faith. I don't have the gifts of healing. I don't have the working of miracles. I don't have the laying upon of hands. I don't have the word of prophecy, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom and so forth, the discerning of spirits. But if you have a burden for lost souls, you can do anything that God wants you to do. You can heal the sick. You can raise the dead. You can cast out devils. You can cleanse the lepers. You can pray for people to receive the Holy Ghost, and they shall receive the Holy Ghost. I end this question with a question. How did Jesus save the world? He saved the world through his crucifixion on an old rugged cross. Now, here's really the question. 
How did he go through that? He didn't want to go through that. He prayed, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass for me. But nevertheless, uh, let thy will be done, not mine. Don't let my will be done. Let your will be done. How did he do that? It was something, watch this. It was something that in his flesh he didn't want to do and he was not capable of doing. Did he do it with, with the gift of faith? Did he do it with the working of miracles? Did he do it with the word of prophecy? No, he did it with a burden for lost souls. Hmm. How did he do something that was beyond his ability? He had a burden for you. God will use you in the miraculous. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. God will use you in the miraculous of his spirit. He will give you an anointing that will destroy every yoke of bondage. When you get beyond yourself and you begin to have a burden for someone else, when you begin to pray for lost souls and intercede for lost souls and travail and groaning in the spirit for lost souls, and you begin to uh, give of yourself to those that you don't even know, to those that are less fortunate than you, to those who have never heard the gospel, and you get beyond your pride and beyond your complacency and beyond your comfort and your tradition and your routine and your fear and you reach for lost souls then and only then will you see the glory of God revealed in your life because it was his burden that led him to the cross it was his cross that led him to the grave but it was his grave that led him to resurrection power the glory of God in Jesus name wow that's awesome. That's awesome stuff, bro. Don't really know where to go from there after after that. Is what a word, what a timely word, amen. You know, try uh, I try and craft these conversations, and and sometimes the spirit of God just moves in, and and it is what it is. That was uh, that was mm. awesome. Thank you for sharing that with mm. us today. Um, amen. amen. There, there, there was a couple of things that I did want to get to just before we let you go, but there are a few preachers that listen to the podcast uh, that I'm aware of, and uh, I I love your preaching. You're one of the few preachers of my own generation, I, I and this has nothing to do with our generation and the preachers in our generation, because there are some amazing preachers out there that are around our age, but I just tend yeah. to have a bit of an older head, and I like... Uh, listening to to some of the older preachers, but you're one of the few around my age that I'll actually seek out and and listen to your preaching. I love your passion, and we just ex- experienced that being spirit led and the and the passion in which you minister. Are there some pointers that you could give to some preachers out there when it comes to study and when it comes to execution of the Word of God when when ministering? Yeah, that's a great question, man, and and. Uh... Uh, this is just my opinion, okay? So you just take it as it is. I think in terms of studying to preach, not just studying to uh, to know more of the word, but it, 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 to answer this question about studying to preach and, and execution, for me, the number one thing is to lose your reputation. And that may sound like, kind of a weird answer to start out with, but for years, in fact, for probably eight years, I struggled with, with trying to build my reputation. 
And so when I would study to preach, I would study with the, the effort and the hopes of finding a new nugget of revelation that I could impress the people in the church with because I wanted what everybody wants. I wanted the affirmation of my peers and my, my elders. And, and, um, and so it really, it really caused my, my study time to become convoluted because, you know, you're, you become stressed when you're trying to find the needle in the haystack, you know, and when you're, think about it like this, when you're trying to find the needle of revelation in the haystack of the church where, you know, on any given Sunday, you've got 95% of those people you're preaching to, they're already saved. They're already convinced. They're already persuaded. They're already uh, learned and educated on, you know, the majority of the scripture, right? And so now you have to try and go find the one needle that they've never heard before. And so you can be come you can become so frustrated because you're trying to to impress them with a new nugget of revelation that we think is going to save them even more than they're already saved, right? You know, it's like uh, recently I was in a swimming pool with my son four years old, you know, and we were at a hotel and, and there was a water fountain, um, like a water cooler, you know, and where you could drink from. And he goes and gets a cup of water and then he runs over and he throws it, the water on me as I'm in the pool, you know, and I, as a joke, I'm like, Oh, don't get me wet. You know, don't get me wet. You know, and I'm already soaking wet. You know, it's like, you're in the pool. How much wet, how much more wet are you going to get? Right. right. And so it's kind of like that in preaching where it's like, they're already in the pool they're already persuaded. They're already saved. They're already convinced. And as a preacher, it can become so easy for us to try to impress them as if, you know, we're going to save them even more than they're already saved, you know? And so for me to stop doing that, I had to lose my reputation and it happened really. I mean, it's been a process for me, you know, like my calling was a gradual experience with a very dramatic ending or, turn of events, it, it happened to me that same way where it's been the course of nine years of, of my preaching ministry that uh, I, I've had to lose my reputation. When I got married, that was a major point because my wife, you know, she sees the worst of me and the best of me. And when we started traveling together, which was in Australia, you know, she started telling me these words, you need to lose your reputation. Because the Bible says that Jesus made himself of no reputation, which enabled him to preach whatever God wanted him to preach without trying to make it sound fancy and, and have the three points and the plot twist at the end and the fancy title and the alliterations and the rhetoric and the articulation and the, all this stuff, right? And nothing wrong with that. I wish I could do it. If I could do it, I would do it, right? But I can't do it unless I really just some people can just do it naturally. You know, they're orators by birth, like they're intellectual, they're intelligent, they're articulate, and they've got all these great creative thoughts, man. I, I can't hardly put two words together to save my life, you know? And so I've had to deal with what God dealt me. You know, he dealt me passion. I feel passion. I feel 
burden. I feel desire. I feel this burning inside of me, you know, like, um, and so I use those giftings that God has given me. So when I study, in fact, it was right after I left Australia for the first time, we were there for several months and the Lord spoke to me and said, stop trying to force revelation when you preach. Stop trying to force revelation when you preach and preach confirmation. In other words, preach the basics, preach what they already know. And when you preach confirmation, revelation will flow naturally. Revelation will naturally flow. Amen. And so what I started to do, like I mentioned in my last answer to that question, is I started preaching from the book of Acts. And it was so, uh, it was just, it was, um, and it caused so much nervousness in me to walk up to a pulpit on a Sunday morning with 100, 200, or 500 people and say, today I want to open up to the book of Acts chapter 2. And in my mind, I would hear this, oh, not again. That's what I would hear. I didn't hear it physically, but I would hear, oh, not again. Because they're going to, in my mind, I would hear, oh, he hasn't studied. You know, he doesn't really know the scripture. Oh, great. He doesn't have a new revelation for us, you know. And, and I have this master's degree of theology, and I wanted to impress them with my intellect, which I don't have much of, but I wanted to impress them with these nuggets of scripture that I thought I might have. And God said, no, go preach Acts chapter two, verse one through four. And I'm like, but, but everybody knows that already. It's like, it's like, it's like going to a calculus class saying, okay, everybody, what's two plus two, you know? And they're like four, Hey, good job. You know? And what, but what began to happen is we started seeing people get the Holy ghost. And then one of the craziest testimonies out of that, of preaching the basics of doctrine, is I would have all of these people, saints, fifth generation saints, elders in the church come up to me and say, man, I needed that today. Our church needed that today. Wow. We've been needing a fresh fire sermon on the book of Acts. And I would just be blown away. Like, man, I was expecting them to come and say, man, you preach that again. Oh my goodness. You know, when are you going to preach something else? You know? And so for me, when I study to preach, I have to lose my reputation or else I will compromise what God wants me to do. So my execution comes from when I get up on the platform, I try to find those that I think, and I don't know this because I'm a visitor usually, so I don't know the crowd, but I, I look for those who I can tell they're hurting that person right there, she's hurting, man, he's hurting, he's lost, I, I think he might be lost, he needs the Holy Ghost, you know, and so I'm looking for those people, because they're the hungry ones, right, and Jesus said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, but they shall be filled, I don't look for those Pentecostals that they come thinking they're righteous, Jesus said, he said, I didn't come for you who think they're righteous, I came for those who know that they need repentance, I used to come to preach to, to impress those that are already persuaded and they think they're righteous and man, it just messed me up. But, but, you know, the dramatic thing that really turned this for me was last year and I'm not going to get into this, but, but, you know, we went through a trial, the worst trial of our lives when we lost our little girl, we lost our little daughter and uh, she died on November the 28th. And when my daughter died and I held her in my arms for, six hours after she had died and we buried her and we had a funeral for her 
I never, I, I, at that moment, I could not have cared less about my reputation, you know? And the next time I stood on a platform, I, there was not one ounce of pride in me. There was not one ounce of desire to impress anybody in that room because I thought, man, I've gone through hell. I've, I've gone through the worst, the, the darkest days of my life. I couldn't care less if you like me. I couldn't care less if you think I'm a good preacher. I couldn't care less if, if you think my, my words are articulate or not. I'm just here to help those who are hurting, you know, and I can truly say that I've finally, after nine years of traveling and ministering and praying, I finally have lost my reputation. I don't care anymore what you think about me. And it's allowed me, it has freed me to finally speak the truth in love without worrying about what your response is going to be. So my number one advice is lose your reputation. And you'll become a, a greater preacher than you ever imagined you could be because you'll be able to speak the truth without any fear or hesitation. Mm. Tying that together, tying together. I mean, there's just so much revelation, inspiration that you're, you're sharing here. Uh, I'm trying to keep track of it and also not get lost in what you're sharing because, uh, you know, you're, you're um, ministering to me through this conversation. Yeah, that, that Jesus had no reputation. And because of that, he was able to share whatever God wanted him to, to share. And that I can tell, and I'm sure the listeners can tell as well, when you say that you don't care what people think of you, you're not saying that in a way of like, I'm just going to do whatever I want. I don't care. But it's more so, exactly. the, um, you know, I, I'm not here to impress anyone. I just want to do what God wants me to do. Amen. And, and I, yes, and I, I do want to be clear. And I thank you for clarifying that because I care what God thinks. I care what my, my family thinks. I care what my pastor thinks. I care what my brothers and my peers, you know, those that I've become accountable to. I do care what they think, but what in exactly what you said, what I don't care about is the trivial things, the prideful things, the arrogant things of, you know, I, what I used to care about was, man, you know, um, did you, I wanted people to know I got to preach at this conference. I got to preach a general conference. I got to preach at this church. Look at where I got to preach. And, and then I, I would try so hard to come up with a fancy title. Isn't that crazy? Because when I, I preached general conference in, in the States in 2017, and my title was whatever it takes, just a simple title. And I had a couple of people come up to me and, and they were friends, but they were like, man, when you said your title, I was like, Oh, this is going to be bad. And, I, and so I, I, from then I, I tried to come up with fancy titles. I would work so hard to come up with a fancy title, you know, and, and just because I wanted, and here's how I say it is I cared more about people telling me good job than I did about God saying, well done. Mm -hmm. And so that's how it shifted for me is I would rather God say, well done than for my, my peers to say good job, you know? Mm -hmm. I wanted to read this back to you, and I know you, you said you're not going to talk much about what happened to you last year, but I'm just uh, going to read this post and then ask you a question, not necessarily related to the post per se, but about dealing with loss and suffering. You said on New Year's this year, I rejoice in 2020, began the year at Australia General Conference in the midst of nationwide wildfires. God still moved. 
The COVID-19 shutdown brought me closer to God and closer to my family. I rejoice. My daughter was born, making me a girl dad, something I never imagined I'd get to be. And although she's gone, I'll never have to wonder where she'll spend eternity. I rejoice in 2020. And so my question is, how are you able to rejoice even in loss and suffering? And not necessarily only your loss, but also, you know, the body of Christ has lost a lot in 2020. We've, we've lost pastors, we've lost ministers, leaders, family members through uh, the pandemic. People experience loss, they experience grief. How is it that you are able to rejoice? How is it that the child of God can continue to rejoice in loss and suffering? Man, these questions are amazing, brother. And, and uh, yeah, 2020, you know, was a very tough year, but I could rejoice because, first of all, God is in charge and God is my father. My father is in charge. In Exodus, in Exodus 3, God calls Moses to go back to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. In Exodus 4, Moses heads back, right? He heads back to Egypt. In Exodus 5, he does what God tells him to do. He speaks to Pharaoh in the name of Jehovah, and he says, let the people go. Pharaoh spits in his face, proverbially, and, and ends up making it a more difficult situation. Moses comes to God at the end of Exodus 5 and says, God, what is your problem? I did what you told me to do. I spoke to Pharaoh in your name. I went where you told me to go, and it all backfired in my face. Pharaoh didn't deliver the people, and you, he says it. He says, and neither did you do your part. You didn't show up and do your part. So he was distraught. He was grieving. You know, he was sucking his thumb, you know. And God speaks to him. It's the same conversation. It's God's response in Exodus 6 and 1, 2 and 3. And God simply says, first of all, Moses, I am the Lord. In other words, he said, I'm in charge. When it doesn't happen like you want it to happen, when, when it seems to blow up in your face, when it seems like everything is, is falling off and, and, and nothing is working out, I'm still in charge. And we're on the same team. So that should give you some solace and some faith and some hope that I'm still in charge. Mm -hmm. Then he says, and, and this is a man, another sermon, but, but he says, I'm just going to paraphrase it for sake of time. So he says, number one, I'm still in charge. Number two, he says, and you have my name. He tells them, I didn't give my name to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't know my name. They just thought I was El Shaddai, God almighty. He said, but Moses, I gave you my name. So there's two things you have when it blows up in your face, the revelation of who's in charge and the revelation of his name. And for me, you know, through 2020, my schedule, which I began 2020 with you guys in Australia at General Conference. And on January the 2nd, God spoke to me, which was the first night of General Conference. God spoke to me after Brother Shaw's sermon. And God said, prepare yourself everything is about to change. The way you do ministry will change. Now, I'm not a prophet that knew about COVID. I did not know there was going to be a pandemic. All I knew is God said, prepare yourself because everything's about to change and the way you do ministry will change. Well, God did not tell me there was a pandemic, a shutdown. God did not tell me that my schedule was about to be evaporated in one day. I mean, we stopped traveling and we didn't travel pretty much the whole year, it seemed like, of 2020. And 
But God revealed to me that my motivation of my relationship with God had become my ministry. And when God stripped me of my ministry, because I couldn't travel anymore, we were shut down. We were locked down. I realized my motivation for prayer was my ministry. So it re it shifted my motivation of prayer. And I realized I need to pray to have a relationship with God, not to be used in the revival next week, not to be used at the youth camp next week, but to have a relationship with God. So it brought me closer to God because it revealed to me my motives of my prayer life. And then with my family, you know, we had, we had family night every night. We didn't just have family night here and there when we could fit it in. It was every night, every single night with my, my wife's family. We had dinner, we had dessert, we played, we, we played board games every night of the week. We would have devotion every night. We would pray together every night. And then we would go on a walk through the park every single night. It was amazing. And uh, it's like, man, I almost wish we could go do that again, you know, and, and we did that for months and it brought us so close together, you know, and yes, it was difficult because there was people around us dying and they were shut down. We couldn't go to the grocery store. We couldn't do this. We couldn't do that. And we couldn't go to church. You know, we were trying to figure out how to do online church and, and uh, that was difficult. But in the midst of all that, I was going up a mountain. There's a mountain um, right across the street from where we were living last year. And I would get in my truck and I would drive up the mountain every morning at 4.30 or 5, every morning before sunrise. And I'd go up that mountain with my Bible and I would pray and I would read and I would talk to God for hours every single morning. And I'm telling you, I wish I had 12 hours on this podcast to tell you some of the things that God did on that mountain and, and the things that came out of that. But um, God shifted our ministry and we're doing now, uh, we have a new ministry that my wife and I have embarked on. It's called Harvest in Motion. And that's, there's no way I could even get in, into that, but it's what we're doing right now. And we're training churches how to get out of the church and how to reach the lost. And, and that all came in 2020. And then my wife gave birth to our first daughter, and I became, as I mentioned in the post, a girl dad. I never thought I would, I would be a girl dad. And it was this, the greatest moment of my life when, when my little girl was born. And, and it was a tragic moment because she was born premature and my wife almost lost her life. And she nearly died. In fact, the doctor who was operating on my wife screamed at me twice and said, Chris, pray as loud as you can right now. And she didn't even know we were Christian. She didn't know we were preachers. And five minutes later, she said, we're losing your wife. You've got to pray now. And I was praying and God brought her through that. And, and God miraculously uh, brought my daughter into this, this world. And there was no issues with her, even though she was a premature child. There was no, no problems, no complications. But after 16 days, uh, God decided to bring her home. And, and she just stopped breathing. And the doctors had no answer for it in fact the doctor the main doctor came the nurse the main nurse on the floor and the main doctor came in literally with tears just streaming down their faces and they said we are so sorry we have no answer for you we have done everything we can do we've looked at every computer every scan we've looked at every chart and there's no understanding to why she stopped breathing she was a perfect child and i realized that you know, when the coin is flipped and the doctor comes in and says, 
they're healed. There's no more cancer. There's no more sickness. And we don't understand why we rejoice and we give God the credit. Why can't we give God the credit when it doesn't happen, when they're not healed and the doctors can't explain it? It's still in the realm of misunderstanding and a lack of understanding. The doctors can't explain it. Well, that's where I see God stepped in because the doctors couldn't understand that, that miraculous element of God saying, even though she's perfect, I'm going to bring her home because I've got, I've got a greater plan for her, you know? And when I sat there for six hours praying for her body to be resurrected and God did not resurrect her body, she grew gray. Her body got gray and cold and stiff in my arms. And my wife, we, we wept together and we sobbed together. And my wife said, she said, before we lay her down for the last time, we will give her to God and we will praise God together because it's God who gives and it's God who taketh away. And we will not leave this room until we can praise God for what he has done. And so we, I, I did not feel praise. I did not feel like shouting. I did not feel like running the aisles. But the only way I could praise God was knowing that my daughter was in heaven. And I'll never have to wonder where she's going to spend her eternity. And so we finished our, our 2020 in December we, we buried my daughter, and uh, it was the hardest moment of my life. There's still grieving happening to this day, you know, but I found the moments um, where I could rejoice, you know, in that, you know, realizing again that this is not about me. This is about God. David said in Psalm 23, you know, he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me. Uh, beside the still waters he restores my soul and leads me on paths for his name's sake yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil notice how he builds up that song by saying god is in charge god's my direction god is the one leading me it's for his name's sake so if i go through the valley of the shadow of death i'm not going to be afraid because i'm here for the name of God. Amen. That's why Jesus in Matthew 24, 4 through 14, he talks about the end times and he says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. But then, and he says there will be earthquakes and pestilences, which are diseases in diverse places. And But then he says, and it'll come against the church. He said, they will lift you up to be afflicted. The church will be afflicted. He said, they will hate you. They will even kill you for my name's sake. So when we can realize this is not about the name Chris Green, this is about the name that's above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. When I realize that everything I go through is for the glory of his name, then I will always have a reason to rejoice. What are you rejoicing about in 2021? In 2021, oh man, we've gone over an hour and I, I don't, I, I need another hour to answer that question, but I'm rejoicing. Here's what I'm rejoicing about in short. Okay. I'm rejoicing about what Jesus is rejoicing about. There's only one verse in the Bible 
where you find Jesus rejoicing, and it's found in Luke 10 and chapter 21. And it says, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. What did Jesus rejoice about? Well, you have to read the whole chapter to understand what he rejoiced about. He does pray in that, that moment. He's, he rejoices and he says, I thank thee, O Father, that you have hidden these words from the wise and the prudent. And you gave this word, this calling to babes. In the King James, it says babes. <laughs> I want to say, turn to your neighbor and tell him you're a babe. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. Um, but it says you hid these words. You hid this calling. From the wise and the prudent. The prudent means the cautious and the careful ones. He says, and you gave this calling to babes. In the modern translation, it says, you gave this calling to the childlike, to those who are like children. Well, that's you and that's me. And the calling was what? If you read Luke chapter 10, it says that, that he called 70 people to go out into the world. Just like we were talking about 30 minutes ago. He called them to go out into the world and preach this gospel to every creature. And he told them, you're going to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, cleanse the lepers. And they come back rejoicing. They come back with joy, rejoicing. They said, Jesus, we did it. We saw revival. We saw healing. We saw deliverance. We saw salvation. We even saw demons who were subject to us in your name. And Jesus says, do not rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in the results of my power. He says, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And it's interesting because their name wasn't written in heaven until their feet had been walking in the world, reaching the lost. So their name being written in heaven was attached to their feet being in the world. And it says, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced. So what did Jesus rejoice over? He rejoiced that he finally found a group of people who would reach for the lost. So I've, uh, I don't, I haven't stopped rejoicing over the results and the people we just had this Sunday in a small church in South Dakota. We just had 10 people receive the gift of the Holy ghost. Praise God. And we had three people baptized in Jesus name, but guess what we had last night. We had a training session and we're having another training session tonight. And for the last 12 weeks, we've had training sessions in South Dakota about the church getting into the world. This is the ministry we've started called Harvest in Motion. And so we had a training session last night and there was probably 30 people there who came. I mean, I wish all of you could have been there. They came to the altar and there was a spiritual awakening. There was a spiritual intervention of God where these saved people, the, the church were there at the altar. There was tongues and interpretation. There was a witness of God's spirit. And, and it was like Luke 10, where Jesus found people who were willing to reach. Mm -hmm. Jesus rejoiced, not over the results, but he rejoiced over the reach. And so this year I'm rejoicing because God is finding apostolic people who will reach into a lost and dying world. So if you only rejoice in the results, then what do you rejoice over when there are no results? When you don't see people filled with the Holy Ghost, when you don't see people baptized and healed and delivered and set free. But if you always rejoice in the reach and you're always reaching, you'll always have a reason to rejoice. So this year I'm rejoicing because 
we buried our daughter in December, but on January 1 of 2021, we launched Harvest in Motion in Florida. And for 12 straight weeks, we trained East Wind Pentecostal Church, Pastor David Myers in Palm Bay, Florida. We did 12 weeks of training of how to reach the lost. And I wish I had time to tell you all the testimonies, but we ended up seeing over 60 people filled with the Holy Ghost. We saw a crippled man that I have a video on my phone of this crippled man being healed in the name of Jesus. We had a Holy Ghost crusade on the football field of, of the high school in that city. And, uh, but what was amazing is we had about 500 people in that church reaching for the lost every single day for 12 straight weeks. And then we came to South Dakota and we launched Harvest in Motion here. And we've seen this entire district catch on fire. Brother Greg, we saw a church just two weeks ago. They only have 35 people in their church. And after doing the training of Harvest in Motion and how do we get into the lost? How do we reach the lost? In the last two weeks, this church of 35 people has secured 35 new Bible studies. Wow. A church of 35 has 35 new Bible studies that they're teaching to lost people in their city. Their Sunday school department in two weeks went from five kids to 16 kids. Their bus program, they, they, they do a bus ministry. They have one bus and their bus is completely full. Now in two weeks, they went from an empty bus to a full bus, and now they need a new bus. They need a second bus because they have started reaching for the lost. So I'm not just reaching over the results. Man, I feel emotional right now thinking about it because I've had a daughter that's died. You've had friends that have died. We've had people that have backslidden. We've had churches that have closed their doors. We've had chaos. We had confusion. We've had darkness. We've had hell on earth. But we have a church that's reaching for the lost. So I'm going to rejoice over what Jesus rejoiced over. Amen. Wow. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. You've uh, you know, been ministering and imparting throughout. And I'm so grateful again that you've uh, provided the time today to join the podcast to speak to the listeners. And if I could just ask you one, one more time to share a word with the listeners as, as we finish this. Anything that God has laid on your heart uh, specifically for the podcast. And thank you again, bro, for, for your time today. It's been not just an honor. It's been a joy to be with all of you today. And I pray that you'll take these words into your heart, but you'll receive them into your hands, into your feet, um, and to do what God has called you to do. What I feel God wants to do right now is what John the Baptist said when he prophesied, he said, there's one that's coming who is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear, who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. God wants to baptize all of you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And I don't have time to go into all of that, but I just know what I feel in my spirit, that there is a fire of the Holy Ghost that wants to consume every one of you, every believer, every Christian, every Pentecostal, every apostolic man 
and woman. God wants to stir you up with the Holy Ghost and fire. Do you know why? Because you can't be silent when you are consumed with the fire of God. You can't be still anymore. You can't be stagnant anymore. You can't be comfortable when you're on fire. You can't be complacent when you're on fire. And guess what else? When you're on fire, you don't care what everybody else thinks. You don't just sit there with your arms folded when you're on fire. You don't worry about what you're, what's going to happen to your reputation when you're on fire. When you're on fire, you've got to move. You've got to speak. You've got to shout. You've got to run. You've got to do something when you are consumed by the fire of the Holy Ghost. So as you're listening to this, I want you to close your eyes right now. And I want you to lift up your hands to heaven. And I want you to lift up your head towards heaven. For Jesus said, lift up your head because your redemption is drawing nigh. And I'm going to pray the prayer of faith upon each and every one of you. And when I say in the name of Jesus, when I say those words in the name of Jesus, the spirit of God is going to come upon you wherever you're listening to this in your car, in your home, wherever you are listening to this. When I say his name, God's spirit is going to fall upon you like fire from heaven by the authority of the word of God and by the power of your holy name. God, release your spirit. Release the Holy Ghost and fire upon every man, upon every woman, upon every young person. For blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled with the Holy Ghost and the fire of your spirit in the name of Jesus. Would you just lift up your voice for a moment and would you praise God with a voice of worship and praise unto the Spirit of God, the name of God, the Word of God, and receive into your spirit the Holy Ghost and fire just for a moment. Be stirred, be changed, be impacted, be transformed by the fire of God's Spirit. Lord, remove us from our complacency. Rid us from our fear. Change us, God. Separate us from pride. Give us a burden for lost souls. Give us a burden to pray, to travail, to intercede for a world of lost and dying souls. Let us reach into the world. Let us go into the world. Let us go as apostolic believers, preaching the gospel to every creature, to see the miracles, to see the signs following us in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, almighty God. We worship you, almighty God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus. I worship you, God. Amen and amen. In Jesus' name, God bless all of you. Thank you so very much for your time. I believe that God is going to use you like you have never been used before when you will make up your mind right now and I will go into the world as a believer in the name of Jesus Christ. God bless you in Jesus' name.